You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Give us an opportunity to make you develop our own opinion, you know? I mean, how dare we? How dare we develop <laughs> our own opinions? Hi, everyone. It's Ria, the host of Femme on Film, where a guest and I talk about films made by women, starring women, for women. These are films that have often been overlooked or unfairly derided, or where female filmmakers haven't been given the same chances as their male counterparts. And sometimes it's just a chance to talk about films that we love that happen to be made by women. If you like fun, insightful and patriarchy-smashing chats about film, come and have a listen. Femme on Film is part of the Comics and Motion Network and can be found on all your podcast apps. So come and join us. Smash the <laughs> Hello my friends and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week I am joined by my partner Megan Gritty as well as Rhea Carrigan and Alison Shelton from the Femme on Collective and associated with Comics Emotion and they've both been on this podcast numerous times. But this conversation isn't touching any of the topics that I've discussed with Rhea or Alison in the past. This is hyper-focusing on pregnancy, childbirth, and parenthood. So this is split into two parts because the conversation itself was over two hours long. So if you want to hear both parts at once, right now, go over to patreon.com slash genuinechitschat. For as little as £1 a month, you get access to the Patreon-exclusive feed where you get over 140 episodes of Afterthoughts, most of which are myself and Megan. And you also get early access to Genuine Chit Chat episodes when they're split in two parts and loads of other cool things too so please consider checking that out and link is in the description but in detail for this episode so this is part one as i said part two will be out next week but part one starts with ria and allison introducing themselves and the femme on collective and then myself and megan talk about our experience with sex education in school then the conversation goes into talking about all kinds of things to do with pregnancy. We speak about premature babies, how pregnancy is treated differently in the UK and the US, what childbirth is really like, because both Rhea and Alison are parents, and I've also got a few testimonies from friends of mine who I read out on the show, and there's one that I sprinkle amongst both parts. So there's lots of different perspectives here, because every birth for all people is completely different. So I want to reinforce that element of things. We want to talk about the raw parts of pregnancy that aren't often spoken about, and I will We'll put a warning in here that because we speak about pregnancy there may be certain triggers for individuals uh, the main trigger will be an m-word and i'm going to say that word now and that is miscarriage so that is discussed to a degree across both parts of the conversation we don't go deep into that element and speak about it a huge amount but it is mentioned so i want to make sure anyone listening is knowing that going in but it's a really important conversation i'm so thankful i got to speak with these wonderful individuals about this and i just thank you for tuning in and listening so links and everything will be in the description to allison and ria and all that sort of stuff and i will be back at the end for more information so i hope you enjoyed this conversation and i'll speak to you at the end so without further ado here is part one of the pregnancy and childbirth conversation welcome to genuine chit chat where we have honest conversations with interesting people and I'm your host, Mike Burton. So, I am joined today uh, by my occasional co-host, Megan. Hello. Who most uh, patrons will know very well because she's on there almost all the time. Uh, and also, I'm joined by two members of the Femme on Collective that is uh, an incredible new initiative for this year, and I'll let them sort of introduce it more. We'll start with Rhea because you had the you created the predecessor, Femon Film, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, 
Femon, and then we'll speak to Alison, and then we'll kind of delve into the subject matter that we're why I've called you here. <laughs> <laughs> why I have called you to me. Um, so Femon Collective is a bunch of absolutely amazing women who I'm. I can't believe I'm getting to work with and all of this stuff and I'm completely on it and I'm kind of wondering why I exist within them all. Uh, but they've all told me not to put up with any imposter syndrome, so I'm trying not to. Um, who I met through podcasting, I met through all of you wonderful people in Comics in Motion and I just wanted to find an excuse to spend more time with them, to hear their voices more. And so I approached them all last year and asked them if they wanted to do the Femme on Collective, which is, I used to do Femme on Film, still do Femme on Film, but it's now part of the collective. And it's just a place for us, a space to come and talk about the things that we are passionate about, have some fun, also have some serious conversations. We cover anything really, so film, TV, I I mean, I'll let Alison talk about the amazing stuff that she does, fitness, activism, literature, creativity poetry anything really we've got a lot of ideas we're all trying to be sensible not do too many we'll see how long that lasts um and yeah and it's just been amazing it's like it every day it makes me happy god i need to start crying then oh god this isn't the time, is it <laughs> oh, i've been unwell so i'm a bit emotional like it just it just fills me with just pure joy i'm genuinely about to start crying Alison, you go <laughs> Oh, that's hard to follow. Uh, so she reached out to all of us and we, of course, all said yes, because we got to hang out with Rhea and each other. And um, I met all of you through Tanya, who was a part of the Femon Collective and because I created and wrote a comic, Reburn. So um, I am thrilled at the opportunity. My show on Femon is Fine Cut and we talk, we, deep, we talk about a scene from movies, television, whatever media you want. Um, like a deep reading of a scene and I love it because I have a graduate degree in film and television and I made a film many uh, short films and a feature film and I worked in television so um, it's fun for me to have an outlet to talk to all these brilliant people I know about things that matter to us and how media impacts us and shows us things and helps us understand ourselves Um, because I think sometimes we forget like how important it all is to us in our lives. And recently I talked with Pamela Ribbon, a friend of mine who's nominated for an Oscar. And it was so great to have an excuse to sit down and talk with her about her incredible career and her project, My Year of Dicks, and to say dicks as many times as possible (laughs) in a short podcast. So, and today we're here to not well, dicks are involved, but that's not the main topic. Well, and also, um, I've been listening to that episode. I haven't finished because I started earlier today. And yeah, it's it's a really, really fun podcast. And the two of you just have so like great chemistry hearing you talk about it. And um, Megan, I didn't tell you, she, um, was a, she was a screenwriter for Moana as well, wasn't she? Yes. As well. yes. That's so she's done I'm, loads of other things. Or not to reduce her down to that one thing. Like, no, it's, she's it's done, like a I've resume of that. an incredible I, amount of things. But that stood out to me when I saw the description. I was like, oh, that as well as, you know, creating something called a year of dicks. is like those two Alison things immediately. a restrained response from me about Moana. Because as you know, I love Moana a lot. And when she sent through everything and I... And I looked at it, like the show notes, and basically she just got a message from me, which was like, basically like, what the fuck, Moana? (laughs) And I was trying to be not like, can you make her be my instant friend, please? (laughs) Calm yourself down. Yeah, it's like one of the greatest stories 
committed to animation and film, but it's fine. I'm cool about it. That's a whole other. That's a whole other podcast. We yeah. went into that in Disney discussions. I'll put a link in the description as well as my conversations with uh, Alison because we've spoken twice before on this very feed. Um, once solo, and once with the amazing Elise McCall. But we are here not to speak about our creative projects, or are we? Technically, how does ah, one? I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. We are here to talk about something <laughs> that I have almost no stake in speaking about like my opinion of it's more like this is something that's really handing it over in a lot of ways but i have got several notes from individuals uh who have gone through these sort of things which at certain points i'll uh, read part of so we're here to speak about pregnancy and childbirth and kind of basically as a man a biological man who is currently nearly 30 the sex education that i got about it was basically here's one video of a woman giving birth with very little explanation um and you just are a male and you make sperm and it goes in there and there's an egg here you go there's a child and you're like oh i'm sorry this is what and i went to a catholic uh primary school so up to 10 years old so my parents neither of them are uh, especially religious ironically um and so that was it it was that and one video about men we didn't uh, watch a video about women women the girls watched uh three videos about boys girls and both and we just watched two about both and just boys. So we knew even less about women's biological uh, changes throughout puberty that apart from like a two-minute snippet and uh, animation at the end of I one video. I don't think we watched a video about the boys. I distinctly remember when we did sex ed when I was in primary school, so like, mm. what, like 10, 11? Yeah. We got split into two groups. Yeah, we so did we got well. split into boys and girls. The girls went and learned about periods and tampons, and I distinctly remember them throwing a tampon into the fish pond to see how it would absorb the water. <laughs> and there's just all these goldfish like swimming around. Um, and the boys watched their video, and then there was a video that we watched together. And I remember being sat specifically next to someone, and we couldn't stop laughing because, you know. Penis is penises. actually a hilarious <laughs> word. Let's be honest. And when kids say it, you have to be like, I have to try and Great restrain word. myself from laughing <laughs> yeah. at any time. But yeah, we didn't learn about the boys. Oh, well, at my school, uh, apparently they did, but maybe it was rumour and stuff. But that was the extent we got. And then there's a little bit more in secondary school. We got a, a little bit of, you know, here's how you put a condom on and things like that. I didn't that. even get taught that at secondary school. Really? No. Wow. So this is our, so this is showing of we are standard British individuals who have <sighs> gone through the educational system and apart from bits and pieces we've now learnt about because of our friends are having kids, we know very little outside of media and things. So I really wanted to get this conversation together because I imagine there's a lot of individuals like myself, I imagine more so uh, biological males or people, uh, yeah, biological males who haven't kind of gone through that sort of things or haven't been taught those sort of things. I want them to understand while also there are probably other individuals who probably don't know as much either because as megan said like i don't know anything <laughs> so it's like what do you so it's going to be interesting to hear sort of two individuals who have gone through this literally to quote halsey uh in sort of in wrong way i'm not a woman i'm a god and it's like literally literally creating life like growing it inside you and creating it so um let's start with uh you allison to go first when with pregnancy and childbirth were you taught much when you were younger uh sort of growing up and things like how much did you know before you eventually went down that road mm, i grew up in a very uh sh- household that shared a lot of information with me at an incredibly young age so um i knew my birth story i don't remember not knowing my birth story uh of how i was born and 
the complications that I then, once I was pregnant, looked into and realized they're actually fairly common complications. Um, and then that affected the way that I wanted to give birth because I didn't want to have the same experience my mother had because she talked about that trauma of birth quite a lot. And she definitely had postpartum depression, though I don't think she had that word for it or that phrase for it. And, um, yeah, I was around a lot of children and I was around a lot of conversations and I always knew that I wanted to be a mother. I didn't think that I would marry anyone because I was in a situation where I was told I was not very lovable. So I thought like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I do want to have children. And so I, I, I went into it fairly, fairly knowledgeable. And I waited. My mom was always like, don't have kids too early. You know, don't, she had me like late back then she was 33 and she was like, I highly recommend it. Figure out who you are first before you have kids. You don't want to be one of these people who like has regrets. That was actually a big piece of advice she gave me a lot. You don't want to want to be one of these people who says, if I hadn't had kids, I would be this person. I'd be successful or famous or happy or thin or whatever. You know, you just, you want to know who you are before you have children. And I really took that to heart. And I'm glad that I waited until I was in my 30s. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, my uh, both our mums are very similar ages, and they both had us. Yeah, my mum had me when she was thirty-four, and my mum had me when she was thirty-five, and mm-hmm. so it's it's a more uh, it's obviously becoming a lot more of a common thing, mainly Definitely. I think due to social acceptance more than anything. But uh, Ria, with your sort of um, your history of basically sexual education and primarily focusing on pregnancy and childbirth, how much were you educated? Because obviously you were in the same education system as us, but at a slightly earlier point, so. I wonder if it's probably, I doubt it's much better, but I don't know about family or anything if they spoke about it, because our family, my family especially, never spoke about anything like that. So school-wise, pretty much nothing apart from in junior school, a hugely traumatic video which involved two robots made out of household items like sieves and pans oh. and had a baby robot. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> and I've not been able to find it since, but I've asked people like who were in school with me at the time. They're like, yeah, that totally happened. It wasn't like a fever dream. <laughs> That's so and, like, there was, weird. There was like a Henry Hoover at some oh point God. as well. Yeah, like genuinely. Like it's... And I swear to God, if anybody is listening can find this, can you just prove it to me and the people who I'm still friends with on Facebook group, in like in Facebook, who agree that this exists, that we didn't have a shared fever dream. Um, that was about it. And then in <laughs> secondary school, boys and girls split, you got told you're straight or gay. If you're straight, you have children. If you're gay, you don't. If you're straight, don't have sex because you'll get diseases and die and also just have babies and then wouldn't that be rubbish and then boys didn't learn anything about periods or anything like that and we didn't really learn properly things about periods and how they would be even connected to having a baby but luckily at home my stepdad at the time was a very interesting man he was his scientist very straightforward and so everything about that was open if you had any questions he was a man of many faults but if you had any questions about those sort of things he would sit you down and talk about it maybe not in the most emotionally connected way maybe with diagrams of a uterus and you'd go i mean i'm 12 i don't really understand but sure sounds great Um, (laughs) and so there was some sort of like knowledge, but mostly it was like 
women have babies, they're in their stomachs. I, and I apologise to everybody, find this. I do not like pregnancy, do not like giving birth. I'm better with it now that I've been pregnant and had a baby, but I find it, there's a real name for it and I can't remember what it is. And I had to tell them I had it when I got pregnant, um, where I'm quite physically repulsed by pregnant stomachs. I just, I'm like actually sort of having a little bit, I didn't think I'd have some trouble talking about it, but I just, I don't like it. And I don't like having to touch them or anything like that. I felt very different when I was pregnant myself. So I never thought I'd have children. I was like, I don't want to have them. I don't like that. And then I met my husband and all of a sudden I wanted to get married and have a baby. And I was like, wow, that's weird. And I was like, yeah, this guy makes me feel awesome and safe. And like, I want to like create a world and a family with him. How awesome. Let's have a baby. Um, which was very strange. But we waited. So we met when we were in our late 20s. We waited till our mid 30s because I'd never wanted to have a baby. It wasn't really something on my mind. And so we were also like, we're not going to do it when, you know, when we don't feel ready, when we don't feel financially secure, emotionally secure, or like 100% secure about our relationship. Because, you know, you're older, you've got a lot of baggage you've got to work through and, and all of that sort of stuff until we felt we were ready. And then when we felt we were ready, we started trying, although we had a, a couple of miscarriages and stuff like that. So then we had a bit of a fertility journey, which we didn't need in the end. Turned out, we just weren't that great at putting the penis in the vagina, it seems, for for procreation, <laughs> for fun, killing it, like having an amazing time. But for making a baby, turns out if you really want one, it has to be quite boring and you have to do like temperature checks and and all of this sort of stuff. And then you've got to go, oh, I'm really tired, but it says my temperature's right. So I guess... <laughs> And then you're like, oh, yeah, and it ruins all the fun if you do it that way. I don't suggest you do it that way. Do it the fun way. I did not do it that <laughs> way. Absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Absolutely We rubbish, already do it that yeah. way, so that's fine. We specifically ticked, oh, sorry, Megan, it's, it's over this amount of degrees. We can't, we can't we possibly can do it can doodle tonight. 36.4 degrees Celsius. Yes, very specific. <laughs> like, very specific. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, oh, absolute nightmare. And what the other case, off track a little bit, what so? So I had a couple of early miscarriages when we weren't trying for a baby um, that were pretty horrific. I was quite unwell with them. And then we had one, maybe two when we were trying. And because of that, I had to go and have lots of tests done and he had to go lots of tests done and stuff like that. And so they said to us, look, you're probably not going to get, we can't figure out why, but it's just one of those things like getting pregnant seems to either be really easy or not really easy. There seems to not be like, I'm sure there is a middle ground, but, you know, you always hear these stories of, like, people have sex once and they're pregnant. It's like, we were like, how do these stories exist? It's not happening. Ah! Um, so they said to us, you know, if you want to do it, it's going to take a long time, but you should do the temperature stuff, like, be fit and healthy, do all this sort of stuff. So we started off, like, great, this is great, because we just get to have loads of sex, isn't it wonderful? And then, very first month, got pregnant. Gutted. <laughs> Absolutely Gutted. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I thought this was supposed to be like loads of fun. I thought I was still going to be able to drink. Like I hadn't been able to drink since like, so we got pregnant in January and like, I hadn't been able to drink since like November because I hadn't been very well, like for like a couple of months and all the, and we'd had like more tests and stuff like that. And I was like, hold on. So like my last drink 
was like some terrible, like really cheap red wine or something that I had at like somebody's house party. I was like, this is the most disappointing thing. That's oh, so yay, yeah, I'm pregnant, but also we're supposed to go out for sushi, and now I can't eat sushi. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, so before I'll ask Alison about uh, her pregnancy journey, um, but beforehand, Megan, did your mum talk to you at all about? pregnancy or getting pregnant or anything like that i don't know if this is something that i've made up or something that's actually happened but i'm pretty sure my mom had to have an operation after me and my brother were born because we moved her bladder out of place it does happen that is a thing okay then that then that happened so so i know that obviously we we fucked her bladder up um (laughs) but i so my brother was jaundice, so he was three weeks early, so he was jaundice, so he was super yellow. Um, and then I came out blue <laughs> because I had a hole in my heart and the umbilical cord was also wrapped around my neck. So I know that much. <laughs> I also know that... <laughs> so I was born in Italy um, and... My mum went into labour on the 19th of April. My birthday's the 20th. Went into labour on the 19th of April and the doctors were adamant that I was going to be born on the 19th. So they wrote up my whole birth certificate. I lingered on, lingered on for 40 minutes. So I was born at 20 to 1 in the morning on the 20th. So they had to rewrite my birth certificate. Um, Stop yeah. And even at that age. Yeah. Even at that age. I know. Like, the I'm beginning. kind of going my own way. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, like, so... That's all I know. I think it's like obviously somewhat traumatic having a child not being able to breathe. Like I used to turn blue every time I cried because I couldn't breathe properly. Um, oh, wow. Well, I was also asking about if your mum ever spoke to you about getting pregnant or anything like that. Ugh. No, okay. I didn't think she she did. I don't. Uh, I think she said once where I was <laughs> conceived, but it's not like I'm going to go out of my way I'm, to I'm ask saying. my mum. My mum, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I was with my mum once and so she's got this purse and she once looked at me and went I got this the day you were conceived I was like (laughs) (laughs) fucking gross I love parents so Uh, much my my parents uh, oh no 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 it was I've had this since your conception that was the phrase nice I was like that's horrendous mum my my parents used to always remind me mainly my my mum whenever the uh, nation of Turkey was brought up you were conceived in Turkey. Yes, I, I know. I know, Mum. You know that your dad had a vasectomy and then he had a reverse vasectomy just to have you. Yes, I, I did know that, Mum. I still remember from last week. Yeah, you were conceived in Turkey. I, I know, Mum. Thank you. Sorry, Alison. Any fun conception stories of your own, and then and also uh, anything you'd like to tell My us about own your pregnancy fun. journey? Which, <laughs> sorry, yeah, but, how but I was stopped, conceived. Yeah, how right I at conceived. the beginning. Do I how mean, you they, conceived had and sex. how that led into. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Wait. So how I was conceived, sorry, yeah, or my go, children. Uh, but, I, it was not great. My parents are divorced. It was not a great story. Okay, I did know fine. the story and it's not a great one. You can um, skip over that, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I knew that. And and then my birth, uh, my mother was given Pitocin, which is to increase your um, labor, like your labor. It's it's really to get your bed empty so some other body can get in there. <laughs> and um, then she couldn't dilate and so they used forceps to pull me out so uh, my head in the baby picture is like very like squashed I have the same thing 
I've got a oh, dent yeah. in the back of my head right there where they, they used to call me the alien baby. Where they got yeah. yeah, there's pictures of Mike as a baby and I call him Megamind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not not great. And a bluish, you know, I was not, you know, I was definitely one of those babies that people, oh, she's really cute. <laughs> so that was that. And um, my mother's mom died when she was three. So she did not have someone to talk to about this stuff like she didn't I think it is a real gift if you do know your familial history if you can know like how it trends for you like how your body and the bodies of your mothers or you know how it worked for them and she didn't have that and it was a real gift that I knew so that I went into the process like um, we were deliberate about getting pregnant like we didn't randomly get pregnant but we didn't need to go through the temperature thing um (laughs) Which I was grateful for because everyone I know who did it, it's just like, how do you set, how do you suck the fun out of sex? You know, here's a recipe. And <laughs> I, I did have a miscarriage before I had my first child, uh, which I was pretty devastated by, even though I kind of knew because mm-hmm. I had minor surgery and I, I knew that actually that was the second time. Sorry, that was before my second child. My father was diagnosed with terminal illness when I was pregnant the first time and I was overcome with grief. And I miscarried not long after that. And I think they were related. Um, so then I got pregnant again. And I, I knew my mom's story. And so I didn't want to, I didn't, I thought I might be slow to progress because she had been slow to progress, which means, do you know what that means? It oh, means that you're no. not dilating All right. in a way so, that makes yeah. medical professionals happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you it does from not zero to 10. 10? 10. And that's how much you die. Centimeters, yes. Yes, yeah, imagine the, it. The, the, yes. Your mm-hmm. vaginal hole opens up to let the baby's head out for real layman's who do not know. Yeah. Yes. And so, that, so that's what progression is, how fast you're doing it. And they expect it, if it's going well, it's quite steady and they can sort of predict at what stage you'll be a certain dilation. If you're progressing slowly, that's usually not a massive cause for alarm, but it means you'll probably be monitored a bit more and... And they'll see what they can do to help you. They'll get in there. Yeah. They'll get in there. And I didn't want them to get in there. (laughs) Um, And I didn't want to be pregnant. I didn't want to feel like it was a disease or like a condition that I needed help with. I feel like it's something our bodies know how to do. And unless you have underlying issues or, you know, obviously there are people who need the medical interventions. And thank God they're there for them. But I didn't feel like I did. So I, I chose the choices here were kind of like birth in a hospital or at home. So I did it at home. Wow. Okay. Uh, because I didn't want them. I, I just had this feeling like I was going to need medical interventions and I, I really didn't want that. And, and so it was a big decision because I, I sort of wanted to give birth at like a midwife center, but we didn't have that. We do have a hospital that has midwives, one, a teaching hospital which is a good compromise, but I was worried if I was at a hospital, I would get interventions. So I stayed home. Um, and that was a conversation with my husband and myself because, you know, people freak out when you tell them you're going to give birth at home. Um, they're like, what if you die? Is usually the first question they ask. Second question is, what if your baby dies? Um, and then you have to say, well, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, like I've, I've done my due diligence. I've read the scientific 
literature. I've done what, and I think actually my outcome will be better at home. Um, not in like a new agey, touchy feely celebrity Instagram way. It's now become a much cooler thing than it was when I did it. Um, and, and I'm glad that I was at home. I was slow to progress and, um, it took me like, at least, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here, once your water breaks, they want you to give birth within 24 hours oh, and wow. they will, okay. they no. will get that baby out. Um, I, yeah. I've noticed that's a very American thing um, yeah. and very, like very cesarean heavy. Yes. Yes. heavy. And I definitely think in the U S giving birth at home is frowned upon more. We have a very, and I'm sure it varies where you are in the country, but in the UK, we tend to have a very midwife led system of giving birth. We use this horrible term natural birth, which I don't like. Um, So I will be referring to it as vaginal birth. Um, And, you know, intervention is quite low and they try to not do interventions. It's actually, You'll get a lot of people who, when they're pregnant, will be like, I, I like, you know, will take a really strong stance and I don't want to see section or anything like that. And you're like, yeah, totally, because cool, every woman should be able to choose. But if I go into hospital, then they're going to force me to have a C section if something goes wrong. And then the moment you start having those midwife's appointments and start doing those things, you'll realize they're like very much like, no, you're going to have a no interventions as much as possible we don't we don't want that we don't want to cut you we don't want to use forceps or or suction cup we want it to be very you led we want you know obviously it's about the the health and safety of the mother and child but we want it to be very much sort of like we're involved we're there for you but you're in a comfortable and safe environment it's not as clinical maybe i'd say as from people who i know have had children in the u.s it's yeah it's a lot more relaxed i don't know if giving birth can be relaxed but uh and that's that's some of the stuff i was reading was in mm. the uk and denmark the netherlands like though that's where a lot of that statistical research is coming out of and they generally have better outcomes for the mothers and you usually find that there's less postpartum depression associated with births where the people birthing feel seen and hurt mm-hmm. yeah so it's one of those things with it stems to the larger issue, I think, because of public health care. From my understanding, with a lot of things, when it's in America, it's like either you have to have insurance or it costs you a lot of money. And like, uh, well, I mean, having friends, a baby, even if you do have insurance, it still costs you a lot of money. One of your friends showed you the, the, yeah, the hospital my, my, bill. Yeah, my, my friend lives in North Carolina and her sister, I say recently had a baby. I think, I think that baby's now like three. So <laughs> it, it, it wasn't recent. But, um, Mary showed me the the medical bill to see how much it costs. And I was like, that is just nuts. I was like, it's nuts. It's so much money. It was like over 10 grand. It's so much money. And that's actually not that much. Yes. I mean, what? I know people who've spent yeah, it's, far it's, more than that. That's crazy. And if you have insurance, like it covers a lot of that. And that was also a thing. We had insurance. We pay for our own insurance. We don't get it through our work or anything. We uh, pay for it out of pocket. And home birth was not covered. So it was like, so we would need to pay for it out of pocket. But it was actually less expensive in a lot of ways than doing it through the hospital, especially if you have interventions and especially if you end up having a cesarean. And, um, yeah, the room's you know, charged by the hour. Yeah, it's, and, that's, and that is definitely a principle. Like it, it is expediency is a big part of birth here. And 
Mm. And I don't think that serves the people birthing or the children that are being born. And so it was like, how do I take this back? Was basically my guiding principle. Mm. Mm. And is it right with uh, aftercare as well? If your child is jaundiced or potentially has any other more serious issues um, when they're born, how does it work with the American healthcare system? If your insurance doesn't cover it, is it just basically like tough or is it like, no, we'll, we'll save the baby and do what's right. But you're going to be slammed with an un, like an incomprehensible bill. Cause in the UK, at least the concern, if something happens to your child is purely the concern of your child. There's, there's never a thought of the insurance or, uh, other problems with it in, in that moment, I should say, you know, so I'm in, intrigued by that element. As I, dark I, as it it's is. so complicated because mm. America likes to keep it sort of as unnavigable as possible because right. that's how they keep their power. But, um, it, the states really matter. That's when where you live is going to matter a lot. Um, here in California, we have Medi-Cal and, you know, we have programs that help people uh, attain. And, and we have the Affordable Care Act now. So it, it's a different thing than it was when I was giving birth. Um, and I want to say 10000 is a huge bill. That is a big bill. But, like, I guess what I'm saying is, and this is not something you have in the UK, you will get a bill. You are insured, but you will get a bill that will reflect what it would have cost if you didn't have insurance. So you have insurance, so it costs you whatever, $2,000. But you get a bill that tells you this cost $80,000 or something like that. Um, because particularly we have different types of healthcare. We have HMOs and PPOs, and this is another podcast that's sort of dry and boring, but um, you know, because you have private corporations negotiating, everything becomes more expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a nonprofit model. It's a for-profit model. So that is why some people believe that we have such a high rate of cesarean births is because they are a high-ticket item. And there's research on that. Like, I'm not just saying that. That's what I was thinking earlier. When you were saying that they're trying to get more people into the hospital and there is a higher proportion, I was like, well, it's going to cost more money, so of course they're going to do it. Yeah. We have an incredibly high rate of cesarean here, and we also have a high child morbidity rate, and they're related. So it's it's hard because cesareans are an amazing health intervention that saves mothers and children's lives, as we saw in House of Dragons. That would have been handy mm-hmm. to have an ethical, you know, one that worked. Um, but when it's used willy-nilly, someone is going to pay the price for that when it's not medically necessary. So it's, and it's, there's a lot of, once you have one, you can't go back. Like that's a whole thing in a lot of hospitals here. If you have a cesarean with your first child, you cannot then give birth vaginally after that. And it's a lot of, it's a lot to navigate. And if you have the time and resources and privilege to navigate it, I think that you can with some success. But the reality is, is most people don't have that bandwidth and it preys on that. Hmm. it's interesting you should say that because we watch youtube videos that are like misconceptions and they like debunk myths and there's one of them that we watched that was about like giving birth and the myth was that you can't have a vaginal birth after having a c-section so it's nuts it's a myth yeah Yeah, and and these are american professionals as well so that's crazy that the hospitals are saying that 
you can't have a natural uh, uh, vaginal birth if you've had a C-section when it's literally a like, myth. We'd never even heard of that even being a myth. We're like, how on earth is having that first affect that? Surely it's just it, it her doesn't... birth if it's necessary. Why would you not? And then hearing you speak about, oh, it's much more common because it's like, if it's not out in 24 hours, boom. Whereas over here, it's like, we'll just Take wait. as long as you need. Sometimes it's like, if people come in, it's like, you're not ready yet. Go home for a little while and then come back. Oh my and then... God. My friend went through four days. Mm. Four days i was just like i actual superhero and still had a vaginal birth so so yeah so when you go and see your midwife you get all these forms and you get options so in the nhs you get options of what type of birth you'd like to have um or what would just be your preference or what ones you want questions about and you can tick it all off i ticked them all off um including feedback which is vaginal birth after cesarean and she was like maybe you've had any children i was like I haven't. I don't know what it means. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm down. open to every single option that is available. And she was like, I like you. Because giving birth, you never know what's going to happen. She's like, obviously, you can have a birth plan. But we have no idea if your birth plan will go to what it was. My birth plan did not go to any of the ideas that I had. And it changed about a million times. Um, and the one thing they, funny enough, get very excited about is home birth. Because they have... Especially, so I had my child in London. They have fantastic home birth teams across the London boroughs. Like, they're so the moment anybody's home birth, they're like, oh my God, we're here, we could do it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, to me, like this one midwife, and I was talking through all the options, she was like, possibly the best midwife out of all of them that I had. She and she wasn't pushing it, but she was like, are you sure you don't want a home birth? Because I know our birthing centre is amazing because we'd done a tour of the birthing centre and I was like, well, I clearly want to have a baby here. It's like a four-star hotel. I was like, this place is amazing. Um, and so I really wanted to have a water birth as well until it got close to us giving birth. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to have an epidural because this is like madness. And we'll talk about my birthing story in a little bit. Um and, but then if you get an epidural, you couldn't be in the birthing suites. And I said, oh, but they are fancy. But she was very <laughs> much <laughs> on that. She was very much, you know, like, we have the most amazing home birth team. It's nothing to be scared of. Went through all the statistics of how safe it is compared to hospital births and all of that sort of stuff. And honestly, if you if you are lucky enough in the UK to be somewhere where there is a home birth team, if I was ever to have a baby again, I'm not going to. I'm one and done that would be my choice. I would have a home birth. One, because I've done it, so I know what to expect. But two, I think the support that you receive during a home birth can be a lot more, and this is just from what I've experienced from my friends and from being on maternity wards and things like that, you can experience a much more personalised, supportive birth than say if you were a person who was giving birth in hospital and then had to have a medical intervention, you were looking at an NHS that's under a lot of stress. You were looking at, you know, doctors who are having to run in in the middle of doing other things to come and help you. And of course, your care is always number one for them, always. Like, shout out to the NHS, the best institution in the world. Like, oh god I love it so much but you are looking at people who are under a lot of pressure as in home birth it's a lot more of your own time much like midwife led births you know you've got people who are dedicated to you 
And so if I was to do it again, which I'm never going to do, I would definitely opt for a home birth. Hmm. That's very interesting. And so oh, at this point, I'm going to read out one of my uh, friends sort of comments. So I, I reached out and there's a couple of friends of mine who are around my age, uh, one of which um, I'll be able to say their name, but this one um, I will not. Um, and so I'm just going to read out. I think they said I can read, I can say their name if I don't read out the last little paragraph. And I was like, because the last little paragraph they've described as uh, TMI, too much info, but they're happy to share it. So I was like, yeah, I mean, their name is not, irrele- not relevant to you, or audience. But so I'm going to read this. So get in. Right. So first, there's a huge difference between the midwives and the general nurses in the hospital. At six weeks pregnant, I had a lot of pain in my left side, kind of where you'd get period pain. And in the end, I ended up going to A&E, accident and emergency, as it was horrid. When they found out I was pregnant, they sent me to Princess Anne, which is a hospital near us. um, And there a nurse and a doctor looked at me and told me that I was having an eptopic pregnancy and I'd need a scan on the morning to check on this. I asked what this meant and was told that my baby might be in the wrong place and I'd have to abort it. I was devastated. I had to stay overnight. My partner wasn't allowed to stay and they had observations while I was in. The nurse at one point, she started a conversation and asked what I was in for. I explained to her what happened and she replied, oh well, once this one's gone, you can try again. Which is obviously horrendous. Um, To clarify, uh, this friend of mine, they've had child and she's a lovely little girl and she's perfectly safe this is not going to be a horror story to clarify but this is something that she wanted to share um there is a thing called uh hyperemesis i think i may be mispronouncing that um imagine throwing up every time you ate or drank i went through my pregnancy at one point where i was in a hospital um, in hospital every other day on drips um what makes it even better is the midwife tells you that you have it and then when you get really ill you go to a and e for fluids but the nurses don't believe you until they do a dip test your body begins to attack its own organs when it has plus one ketones mine was normally at plus four um and then she said one scan and my daughter uh, had fluid behind her head and they said we had to have a test where they take a sample from your placenta but you run the risk of miscarrying she was in the way of the placenta so they end up doing another test two weeks later where they put a seven inch needle into my stomach for the amniotic fluid then wait two weeks for the results which were the longest two weeks of my life um and then there's a couple more little bits but this is just someone's experience i've also got someone else's as well um so this is my epidural stopped working while I was in labor and my daughter got stuck. It was horrid. When a child gets stuck, they run the risk of developing problems as the uh, brain can become starved of oxygen. And then she said uh, some too much information if you want it. Um, where she was stuck, I had a tear and they had to cut me in several places and in the birth canal. Uh, my internal stitches still haven't healed and they still hurt five months later. Uh, when I had my daughter, they became infected and no one else tells you that they have around a four and five chance of being infected anyway so when you give birth you have to inject yourself with a very large needle every day um and then last bit is also body releases a hormone that makes you forget all these horrid bits and then want another uh, which is what one of my other friends said as well and to clarify yeah my this friend of mine is perfectly happy right now and their daughter is beautiful cute. such a little a cute little girl and uh, so that was just I always put out on to some of my close friends who I know recently had pregnant, uh, been pregnant and had uh, children and asked if anyone wanted to share. So she wanted to share that element of birth. I know it just kind of verbally waterboarded everyone. Um, but do we have any sort of thoughts on those sort of elements? Uh, Alison? And it was a lot. 
<laughs> oh, it's not though to me because mm. I was the friend who everyone told their birth stories to because that's just sort of my personality. But also I was very interested and I knew how much I wanted to share my birth story. And I think some people feel like sharing their birth stories, like telling you their dreams, like super boring and no one cares, but mm. I do care. I have always cared. And so I heard, I've, I've heard all of that before and I have found in my limited experience, I'm not a birth specialist, but everyone has something that happens. So if you have an easy labor, you tear. If you have a slow labor, you know, like there's just, there's just something always. There's no such thing as a perfect birth. And, and I wanted to say, I think the biggest misconception about birth is there's a right way to do it. You know, <laughs> the right way is everyone's alive and as whole as they could be. And whatever that is for you, congratulations, you made it. Um, and I think especially because I am in the United States and I did have home births, I think some people positioned me as someone who had like done it the right way, quote unquote, because I didn't use medical interventions because I didn't have an epidural. And so them telling me their stories and me saying, wow, good for you, helped, you know, like their epidural. I mean, we have friends who had epidurals and they were paralyzed uh, temporarily and that happens more than you might think. And we had um, friends who had allergic reactions to them, friends who had cesareans, friends who had scheduled cesareans, and friends who had emergency cesareans, and people who the baby got stuck. And I mean, my kid was having a hard time getting out and the midwife had to get in there and, and pull him out, um, which just doesn't feel great. And um and I actually think that talking about it helps with postpartum issues because it's an incredibly unique and yet common thing. And I think when we don't talk about it, it feels like we're carrying shame and, and we have nothing to be ashamed of. We've just done this like absolutely phenomenal thing. And why wouldn't we want to tell everyone about it? And I would joke with my friends because one of my good friends gave birth just like three weeks after me. And so we went through a lot of this together. Like she was like, how was it after? And I said, I just feel like I ran a marathon and <laughs> fucked a horse. You know, like you feel like a rough, like you can't describe what it feels like, but it is. And I don't forget. I know people say that about the hormones and forgetting. I, I don't, I didn't, I don't. And, and I don't have a problem with that because I, I did it. And, and we all, every single one of us that does it deserves to be heard. So I, it does, it's not too much for me at all. I was like nodding my head. I know a lot of people have had ectopic pregnancies. And, um, and of course, when I hear the word abortion, and that's something we haven't really touched on as an American and, and the, my bodily autonomy being taken from me and other birthing people, it's, um, it's devastating. And I think women are having babies older because of abortion. A huge part of that is abortion and access to birth control. And I think that politicians in this country would like women to get pregnant younger and have no control over their careers or the choices they make in their lives and would like them to be hostage to their bodies. And so I think this is an important conversation because it's great to have this information. And I think it's also important to shine a light on what it means to have a child because I think politicians like to act as if you can just give birth and give it away. And that that's not a huge ask of somebody to just be pregnant for nine months and then labor and give birth. It's a huge ask and no one should be forced to do it. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's one of the biggest things when I heard about over in America. I was like, that's completely outrageous. And I, yeah. I'm purely for you know people should. All, I think for almost everything in life, people should be able to choose to be able to do whatever it is they either want or need to do. There are you, over in this country, it's like you know if you go to uh, certain places, condoms are free, and then because of the NHS, all contraception is or i think relatively or contraception is basically free so it's just like it, it's it's a way to assist with people preventative measures to help with these things and when you give people these allowances it's just like look if something happens that's out of your uh, control or anything like that or a slip up you can course correct without with, with your own choice you can make that decision for you however it affects you and however long but it's still your decision at the end of the day and that's what i've always had a problem with in this issue and others is always just how can you take away someone else? How can you just take that decision away? It's your, not yours to take, but they've legislated against it, but it's still not right. And that's, yeah, in, in many walks of life, that caused frustration. And in this conversation, obviously, we're trying to talk about all the variations of uh, when one goes through pregnancy and when one goes through that. But obviously, there are times where people go through it and they, they don't want to. They don't or they want can't to medically come to go to make it to term. You know, mm-hmm. I had a friend recently who had a miscarriage and she almost died from blood mm-hmm. loss because she did not receive the health care that she needed because she needed to wait um, because of laws here. And, and women are dying and birthing people are dying because of these laws. And um, I think sometimes people don't realize how often abortions are performed for the health of the mother mm-hmm. uh, because of birth challenges or pregnancy challenges. And I mean, they pass laws because we aren't people to them. That's why they do it. And that's hard. I think it's hard, even though I know it intellectually, it's hard to be reminded of it uh, legally, mm-hmm. that I'm not a full person. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just taking the rights away from someone because it's like, well, your body can biologically do something different to my body. And so I'm just going to, no empathy, nothing like that. I don't even think it's empathy. I think it's just core basic human decency, even more below that. It's just, I can't even... <laughs> fathom taking that away from someone it's infuriating but we'll try to course correct somewhat yes because we're i just about... i didn't feel like i could have this conversation without oh no 100 yeah, and agreed. everything you've said is agreed so i actually i did we didn't hear from ria in this element so uh, i'm trying very you. hard not to go on a ria rant um i think allison said everything so beautifully and so perfectly i will say the word i think it's taken about an hour for us to get to which is the patriarchy and <laughs> ding, ding, ding. yeah we can smash it and all of these things, abortion, not going to come around, especially is fuck the patriarchy, just fuck it. But also in birth, I strongly believe that those who perpetuate the patriarchy make us feel inferior about the way we give birth to separate women so that we don't have control of our bodies, so we don't share our stories, so that we don't support each other. And it's all part of not giving us the power that we both have and deserve and to make us smaller in the world. And so that's why these stories are so important. And your friend sharing that story, like, thank you for sharing that. It, it means a lot. And like Alison, I, every single thing that, that they said, I was like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Either heard it all before or know about it. And, 
as somebody who's had miscarriages hearing oh well at least you can get pregnant um oh this one didn't take you'll have a next one and often those words because midwifery is female dominate dominated will come from women and you know internalized patriarchy you know we're all we're all it's seeped into us all and that's why these conversations that we're having and people sharing stories good ones and bad ones and ones that people think aren't notable like all of these stories matter and are really important every single person who can get pregnant or give birth should be allowed to tell their stories and none of it is too much information you can tell us you can tell other people don't censor yourself not only is that important for you like Alison said for for your mental health but also for other people who need to hear these stories and not feel alone I had postnatal depression and it was really awful and the best thing I did was a couple of days after I planned to kill myself is I said to somebody by the way I was a bit off at this baby play thing that we did because I made a whole plan to kill myself and then I had to go like rush to A&E and see their specialist mental health unit and she was like I feel like that too I'm gonna go and speak to somebody and I was like holy shit like so we've all just been going around not all of us obviously not everybody feels but you know we're just going around these little silos nobody to talk to because the world's so busy putting shame on us about these things that we experience and that we feel and fuck that just fuck it like we need to talk and we need to share we need to like stop putting up with this shit there's no shame in anything if you feel shame, come talk to me and I'll make you feel amazing. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things I actually wrote down before you said the word specifically shame. I wrote that down because it's like with what you've been saying about the patriarch and things, it's basically men in many ways have injected a sort of internal shame into pregnancy, even though it's literally the the stage before creation of birth, which is the most incredible, magnificent thing in comprehension. To comprehend something like creating life is incomprehensible and is literally a godlike uh, thing. It's weird. Thing Don't one think can about do. it too much. No, I, find it I must very admit, it, it does freak me out. It's weird. It's, it's mental creating consciousness through you just eat your stuff and live your normal day, but eat basically a bit more and feel a bit weird. Obviously, very much simplified. The thing is, Mike, is and that. And you create a literal human that then I'm, grows I look up at my to kid you. and I'm like, you are inside me and I find Grew that you. strange. Grew it. For it, me, uh, sorry, she's literally made of me. Mm hmm. No offence to Mother Half, but he did barely anything. She's <laughs> literally made of me. She's made of my cells, of my bone. When you have a baby, whether you carry it to term or not, bits of that baby stay inside of you. Did you know that? It's constantly with you. <laughs> so every single miscarriage I had, oh. but not like a little bit, but like their DNA, it's in you. So every single miscarriage I had, what that child is with me. My child will always be with me. I will always be with my mother. She will always be with her mother. It's insane that we can do this. Why aren't you all just falling at our feet at how amazing we are? It's mad. I do that occasionally. Why? On the right <laughs> at the right time, I'll do it. <laughs> that look. That's not true. Megan's <laughs> like, you're such a liar. Stop yeah. lying. But, but with the just with, trying to impress the women. <laughs> with, with the parts of like shame, it's basically men have injected this shame feeling straight into the consciousness and then internally certain women have been affected by this and then splintered and then are 
sort of doing a feedback loop, loop into this shame that's being kind of fed into it by and things like the abortion laws and that sort of thing is feeding further into it and it's like one of the reasons i want to speak with yourselves is just because i don't really hear much about it i can't exactly just go up to random people and say hey tell me a birthing story because that could be very traumatic and i don't really know you that well so like I'm, unfortunately our friends are quite close to us so they've imagine? told us things can you if you went up to people in the street I think especially that people would... like this yeah. hey, hey tell me a birthing story <laughs> puff a beard out as well and talking yeah. in the voice sorry i'm sure that's a fetish mike <laughs> no i can assure you i'm that, sure um, that no, it, it must be oh no it is a, oh no, it definitely a fetish, is not for me i want to clarify that's no what i didn't yeah, yeah, think it was for is. you <laughs> no i was saying generally, <laughs> generally. generally. yes yeah <laughs> the way you said it wasn't yeah. it's yeah. a little Very suspect <laughs> megan knows my opinion i'm like it's birthing stories <laughs> it's, yeah. that's why i won't name the camera further down because i can't oh, oh my god no. i was joking oh, i was joking for god's sake <laughs> fucking hell have some goddamn decor. you just say it was saying it was my fetish i don't think i loaded it out i was denying it you mike sends the room that reaction was unanimous <laughs> it was exactly it was like in harmony though so i think it worked that's why that's why i'm here not not to increase any knowledge but to put horrible crude jokes in the middle so um, mike, so in, in terms of what you're talking about you know that women solely used to be the people who were helping other people give birth that men until the 70s involved. in in the in europe wasn't it a midwife where he was only allowed yeah. by um women and then yeah i mean and there's there are problems with that and some of that is due to the patriarchy and men going oh we can't touch women they're weird we don't want to know about their dirty. insides we don't there's care still a about, bit about that with, with periods and things there's still a but, stigma to it dirty. unfortunately but, stinky <laughs> I mean, those are the those are the adjectives: dirty, stinky, or sticky. Stinky, stinky. But I did say stinky. I just really enjoyed it. But like, you know, men then just had to get into a woman's space, right? And they had to be like, "Oh, we're the doctors. We get paid more. We're now in women's spaces. We're encroaching in this," you know. And I'm not saying that every single midwife-led birth unit's the best place in the world, but you've got to think about how men are bringing themselves into women-only spaces where women are the experts in supporting other people who give birth and, you know, and seeing how then people who give birth are often shamed or have traumatic stories or don't feel like they can share their stories. There's, again, I don't know. I'm sure there is, you know, you've got to think about that in terms of how we now have medical interventions in giving birth. Mm -hmm. How we've medicalized the whole process. Medicalized, thank you, is the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, all the testing, all which is great if you need it, Mm -hmm. but everyone doesn't need it. Every pregnancy is not a problem to solve, and in the medical system, that is how I felt. And and I had my second child when I was thirty-seven, and it was a geriatric pregnancy. I was geriatric. Uh huh. I'm like, okay, that seems a little aggressive. Thirty-seven. Thirty-six. Geriatric. Just the way they treat, and I want to say one other thing about the whole internalized patriarchy, the whole like mommy wars thing. I don't know if that's Ugh. a big thing in the UK, but yes. it's a big is it? thing. What is here. mommy what wars? Is it? <laughs> it's um, you breastfeeding, bottle feeding, feeding. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, so our pregnant friends have said uh, the the advice that you get that you haven't asked for with judgment. NCT yeah, okay. is a cult and can jog on. NCT is a cult, and I'm not What's paying NCT? to join a cult. It's National Childbirth something or other. And you join a little group. You pay to join a little group. And we tell in your local area, and they tell you about childbirth. But it, 
it started as very much like finding people who were going through the same thing as you and sharing experiences and like really supposed to be like a bonding thing for mm-hmm. people who are having babies. But it's become very natural birth led breastfeeding breast is best if you do it a certain way it's not good enough. like they push a very specific agenda yeah and yeah and so you, you don't yeah. need me to say no more, I, yeah. I, I got it yeah. um and the whole working mom stay-at-home mom you know all oh. of these things that they that are trotted out like over and over again and as I felt like I had to just tell people like I almost wanted to wear a sticker like breastfeeder formula i don't care care. like it it means nothing by the way it's not my kid why would i care i got my hands full like i'm just i'm just trying to exist and do what i'm doing and i feel like so much of that is created to for content for advertising like it's just a money grab and it turns us against each other and i don't really know very many women who give a shit so that's the thing that I find really fascinating. Like, yes, there are those weird ladies at like the store who are like, why don't you have socks on your kid? They're poor tootsies. You know, you're like, who the fuck are you, lady? Why do I care what you think? <laughs> yes, there are those people. But like most people I know who are going through it, they're not judging that way. They're just like trying to survive. And so I find that whole discussion very artificial. And and meant to make us turn on each other. But and it's it also, pisses me off. Yeah, it's also really shitty as well because like especially with like breast is best and all of that. What if what if your right. baby doesn't latch on? What if it's oh. not anything to do with you and you have to provide formula because of whatever reason like an issue of your breast. It is milk like it's none of your fucking things. business. Yeah, it's well, whatever's best for the go- it's whatever's best for the baby. What like why are you poking your nose in other people's business? And are you ready to sit down with me and chat about why I'm not using breast milk? Like that's the thing I also yeah. find really interesting because people just want to judge you like fast. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to engage with the conversation about, oh, your breast milk might be poisoning your child because of some health condition you have or because you're going through something and like you literally can't do it. Or you just don't want to. Those are both valid choices. Mm -hmm. And it's just, so that whole thing is just, it's so destructive. And I think as much as we can all pull back from it, the better. And, And you see it obviously on Instagram. Like you see it in social media being, people are monetizing that. I really feel it here. There's this whole like, I don't know, these ladies who live on farms and like have a bazillion kids and it's all like, gauzy and beautiful and and I don't follow any of these ladies because I I think that it's trash but I know that people do and internalize that and think like why can't I make my own jam and have kids and like do Pilates or whatever and because it's not real you can't do it because it's not real (laughs) no one's doing that she has an assistant and like a nanny and a chef and all these things and I just, oh, it makes me so mad. It makes me so mad because people are missing their child's lives, beating themselves up about how they're doing it wrong. And it, you never get it back. So whatever you're doing is great. Keep doing it. Do not worry if you're making your own hummus or not. No one cares. 
Oh, God, never make your own hummus. I've but tried making hummus. It. It's never as good oh, as you want it to not. be. But it's so easy, Rhea. Oh, like, it's, it's so not. simple to make your own hummus or almond milk or whatever. You know how much stuff goes into hummus? Yeah, and but also... I my own. I was like, I'm I've sorry. Tried. I pretty, pretty much thought it was chickpeas. I'm not yeah. here for any of <laughs> But that's the thing. Shit. And then you put the chickpeas in the blender and they don't even fucking blend properly. They just <laughs> all clump in one area and they don't actually blend. You've got to put, like, the tahini in and olive oil. Yeah, and so much oil. And I'm like, I'm not interested in that. I'm going to pop to Tesco's. Tesco yeah. red pepper hummus. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've got a jar of tahini that I don't know what to do with it. Oh my God, I, I still have gonna, it. Yeah. It's just oh, there. Chicken satay. You should make chicken satay. Chicken satay. Oh, I do oh, chicken okay. satay in the slow cooker with peanut butter and I use tahini paste. There you Wonderful. go. Wonderful. Chicken okay, thighs, <laughs> tahini paste, chicken satay, okay. a few red peppers. You should. Okay, I would actually do that. Slow yeah, cooking is, is a fun thing. So we put uh, it in Slow cooking is the best because you yeah. just dump it all in and it's done. I have yeah. a triple slow cooker. <laughs> it has th- each that individual each individual thing has its own temperature thing uh, as well. My slow thing. cooker so is a slow cooker and rice cooker. Oh, ah, so, that's cool. Having a rice cooker is will transform your life. I don't know if you've got one. Why, you I said the that? other day. I said oh, the, literally like oh, a week ago. I was like, I want a rice cooker. Oh, we haven't got the space Honestly. yet. Yeah, so are the cabinets. It's worth it. So are the cabinets, then we'll get the rice cooker. So it's so depressing because you're like cooking, you're making like this this lund- wonderful like Massaman curry that's been gone for hours and it smells delicious. And then you've got to take it out to put the rice in because you're not going to do the rice in the pan because the rice cooker makes the best rice you've ever had. <laughs> and you're like, oh no. So I need two or the triple one. We got four in total, uh, four slow cookers <laughs> in total. So uh, it's good fun though. Omega <laughs> makes fudge at Christmas. It's three, it's fudge in each of the slow cooker yeah. compartments. I think you're already ready for kids. You've got yeah. all the slow cookers you need. Yeah, done though. Yeah, and we I, had I already... some practice with the puppy. <laughs> yeah, getting up at like yeah. two a.m. to feed, and then the, the four, difference between six. a puppy and a child. The one that we talk about jokingly when we got a puppy was no matter what you do to them, you aren't worried they'll grow up and be a serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah, and also... you know, it's like, oh, I'm neglecting you right now. I don't have to pay for your therapy later. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the biggest difference. Guilt. Yeah. <laughs> I can put you on a lead in public until you're like of old age. Whereas if you do that with a 20 year old, it'll be like, <laughs> um, is this a fetish or something? <laughs> is there something wrong with that individual? Like, why are they on that lead and barking at that person? <laughs> it's like, you know, two slightly different things. But it has, has, learned, has trained us. And also you're great at cooking and things. And I'm great at walking behind people and picking up rubbish and putting toys oh, away. Good. And tidy. I'm tidy, but you're talented. That's it. You make all the lush meals. I just go behind you. Like, oh, I can clean a plate. Work, put that away. It works. Well, so that's um, a good combination. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it I literally made brownies today, and the kitchen is chaotic. So good. Okay, job for Mike when you're asleep. That is normally what happens. She goes to bed, and I listen to an audiobook or a podcast while cleaning stuff. Um, but got some more fun things uh, to talk about um i've got i won't quite go into maths quite yet it's quite an intense one but we will get there uh, shortly i also didn't ask you alison how long you had uh so i thought i'd better make sure because I, oh. I was thinking this was going to be i thought you meant having a baby i was like I know. Oh, they've got a limited that time was... okay no 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 that would have been a very inappropriate and rude question to ask someone especially in the middle of a podcast no as in for the rest of the podcast because <laughs> I was thinking. How long are you thinking? Five like, hours. No. Um, <laughs> no um, prob- this I, is a six-part series. We're recording it today. Yeah, all at once now. Yeah, this is going to last me for the next couple of months on Genuine Chit Chat. Um, no, it was uh, probably about an hour and a half is where I go to. So another half hour or so. That's, um, I imagined that. I know that you like 
sit down and have a conversation. So I was yeah. prepared okay. for Tonya's a conversation. Is the same. He's a chatty boy. T- Tonya's like, you said an hour, so I've booked off two, and I've got 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes leeway on either side, and I'll get on there early because I know you want to talk to me about this. So it's like Ke- Kevin always says to me, I'm like, who are you recording with? And I'll go, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah. And as soon as I go, Mikey's like, right, so I'll just stand an extra hour on until I see you. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> Yeah. Like, no, 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 we'll wrap it up. We've got a time, we'll wrap it up. And he's like, Can you stop lying? It's just a lie. <laughs> Megan says that to me whenever I'm like, I'll be like, Oh, it'll be an hour. She's like, Okay, I'll see you in two hours. It's like, yeah. No, I'll be an hour this time. I was like, Yes, I will see you in two hours. The other day, it was like That's an hour true. 50. And I, was like, I timed oh, it on my phone. That's just like, you say you're going to take an hour and then you're like, Five years. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that is, I, I just love talking to people, especially these lovely individuals who are so interesting and have got so much to say. But I've got some notes from a different friend of mine who is called Jasmine. Now, Jasmine, that's not a name that's been spoken about on this podcast, but she is the partner of my friend Reese, who is in the first ever episode of Genuine Chit Chat and episode 100 and like one or two in between. Uh, he's one of my longest friends. So they've had two children. Uh, one of them is. How many months old? Six months old? Four, no, three Elliot, months old. He, Elliot was born on Halloween. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, three months um, old. Uh, and then we've got uh, Caleb, who's two and a bit. Caleb. I should have really noted this down and asked. Caleb is two in, like, April. Mm. Yeah, so we've got... Um, yeah. so, our friend Jasmine Megan doing the heavy lifting there that is called the emotional load that women have to do and carry all the time having to remember the ages of those children of your friends yeah I'm, I'm normally pr- good I'm with sure years I'm terrible with the months but with when it comes to years because I remember people's birth years so I just work back to be fair with family and stuff I, I know pretty much all of them mm. so but I don't just rely on that for Megan to clarify trying to push the patriarchy that's the only on me. reason we're together so I can remember dates and you cook really well don't forget that yeah yeah, don't forget you know um but basically uh one of the things um so jasmine was very open about this and she said i could say her name so i'm saying as many times as conceivably possible but she recommended me a podcast which is called um birth ed is the name of the podcast and it's got 20 odd episodes on like two seasons uh and one of the episodes one of the early ones from november 2019 was called men in the birthing birthing room and it's about this gentleman who's been a midwife for 20 years and he speaks about um a thing which is in in general, when you are a uh, biological male in the birthing room with your biological uh, female partner, generally men often have this thing go off in their brain where they want to solve problems. And it kind of links with, I believe, something that Alison was saying uh, earlier, or might be what Rhea was saying. But basically that thing where men want to solve, it, it, even when they're trying hard to be good and not be uh, bad, try and solve these problems for your uh, pregnant partner who's going through a lot. And it's just a thing where you can't you can't solve this problem you can't do that thing and you just have to kind of let them be themselves and one thing that jasmine was saying as well to me connecting with this was that in the podcast he says that when a woman uh gives birth when they go into certain parts they can get sort of a tunnel vision and they kind of they hyper focus on just the birth and they become this thing and if you're a birthing partner and your partner's not acting the way they normally would it's like don't he has to tell men a lot of the time don't be worried if your partner is acting in this way or that way. This is perfectly normal. They're going through hell right now, okay? There's a lot of hormones going on. There's a lot of stuff. Don't be, you know, concerned necessarily if they don't seem like themselves from a little bit because they're going through something intense and some trauma. And one thing that links that kind of Jasmine said is one sort of stigma that comes along with childbirth, linking in with the sort of identity part of that, is that some people, when they give birth, they they lose part of their identity because when you have 
a child, what can happen is that if you only become mum and you don't have time for yourself and you just hyper-focus, obviously your child becomes, she said, as soon as she had her kids, uh, a switch goes off immediately and she's like, without a shadow of a doubt, I would die for them one hell of a, 100%. If Reese need to die, I push him in front of a, a bus straight away. If it's to save my kid, that's it. There is no question or anything straight away. But what can happen is you can become so hyper-focused on your child at points that you can not have time for yourself. And that can kind of shift the dynamic of a relationship when you have kids. So I wondered if in that sort of vein, we've spoken about pregnancy and some of the things with childbirth itself, but the the relation to when you have a child, some of the potential expectations of being a mother, but also how relationships, especially with your partner, can shift I wondered if either of you would be willing to shed some light on that dynamic. Because once again, as someone who hasn't had a child, and especially as someone who's a biological male, it's like when a baby comes into your life, this thing you've created, this change of hormones and things that can happen to you, and linking in with sort of postnatal depression and things, a lot of things can change. And I know that, Rhea, you um, have a lot of experience in this element. I wondered if you'd be willing to share part of that with us. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know where to start. I don't know if we've got enough time, Mike. I know um, it's a lot. I, I know it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I was incredibly lucky. So Kevin got four months off work um, as paternity leave. So we had an incredible, possibly the best four months of my life, even though in like the first two weeks I had, that was the start of my postnatal depression undiagnosed until a lot later and I did want to kill myself. So even including that, and I'm saying that glibly for multiple reasons, which again, we don't have time on, but like it's very important if you have postnatal depression to speak to people and get some help. You should not be ashamed. You are loved. You are important. Know that about yourself. Please, please, please seek help. I can only talk about it glibly now because it is four years later. But I was so incredibly lucky that I got to have him with me for four months we got to bond. We got to share the load of absolutely everything. I tried to breastfeed and I couldn't breastfeed. Um, and it turns out it was the best thing ever that happened to us because we could share that. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I gave her a formula. It, it, we had a horrific time. Had the most amazing consultant come out for free. She just came to my house every day to try and help me. And she was wonderful and understanding. And she cuddled me when I needed a cuddle. She didn't cuddle me when I didn't need a cuddle. You know, she was like the most amazing woman. But it just wasn't happening. And I'll never forget giving her that first bottle. And she was finally happy. And I was finally happy. And we looked at each other. And we went, oh, okay, cool, we've got this. And then Kevin got to do the same and was like, okay yeah like cool we're a team in this we, we're doing it together like and that's the end of part one thank you so much for listening as always my friends as i said in the intro part two will be out next week but all patron supporters already have access to part two as well as hours and hours and hours of additional content so please consider going to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat for as little as one pound a month you get to help keep this show going as well as i reward you with hours of additional content you get at least one episode of afterthoughts every single week often you get two and for example with this one part one and two were released in one unsplit episode episode on the patreon feed and then when part two drops on this normal feed patreon supporters get a bonus episode on that sunday of afterthoughts as well so if you want to support the show get loads of extra content and all kinds of other great things please consider checking that out because you can pay as little as one pound a month and you get access to just 140 plus episodes of afterthoughts
But part two specifically, so the conversation continues with us discussing how the dynamic of two people having a child really changes from partners to parents, and that leads on to quite a long discussion on raising a child. Then I read out Math and Amanda's experience with their latest child, and Rhea and Allison give their input on that. And then towards the end of part two, we then talk about strange cravings, weird symptoms, and Rhea tells us what lightning crotch is. So it continues with the kind of theme of there are darker elements of things and more intense, serious matters, but we do also sprinkle in some light-hearted parts, especially towards the end. So make sure you subscribe and tune in for that next week, or become a supporter on Patreon. But what else have we got going on? Well, obviously, last week I did speak to Tony, so make sure you go check out the big Weezer discography discussion. That was a lot of fun. And then, obviously, next week is going to be part two. The week after that, I do have a conversation recorded with someone called Jennifer Sterling. She was kind enough to talk to me about her struggle with depression and how her changing her diet and her relationship with God and a few other elements all kind of helped her in that way, getting through that tough time. So it's a really great conversation to have. As I said, that will be in a couple of weeks' time. And then I've got a few other things in the pipeline as well, so make sure you watch out for that. In addition to that, on Monday, I am recording the first part of the Rebels Review Show, which will be on the feed of Comics Emotion and on Jen and Chit Chat's YouTube channel. So that's going to be with myself, Dave Horrocks, and Math. Math obviously helped out with the Andor show quite a lot. And as I said, when describing what's going to happen in part two of the pregnancy conversation, I do read out stuff from Math and his partner, Amanda. So Math is getting everywhere at the moment in the podcasting sphere. And yes, we started a new show. It's watching the first season of Star Wars Rebels, doing an episode on that. And then in a couple months' time, we'll do season two and three and four, etc. Well, I say etc. There's only four seasons. But we're going to do that throughout the year of 2023. So if you're interested by Star Wars Rebels, or if you want an excuse to go, and watch Star Wars Rebels. Each episode's only 20 minutes long. It's all on Disney+. Plus. It's really worth it. I argue it's probably the best Star Wars content that exists outside the, st- the original trilogy, but you have to watch it all, okay? None of this starting Series 1 and giving up nonsense. It doesn't get good if you just give up partway through, so please consider checking that out. In addition to that, obviously, you can check out my Patreon. You can follow me on social media at Genuine Chits Chat. You can go to my YouTube channel where all my conversations are in playlists, and a large variety of them do have video as well, so make sure you go over there and you can check out my wide variety of content and make sure you subscribe while you're over there too you can leave reviews for the show on spotify on apple podcasts on good pods loads of great places and it does help the show out so please make sure you do that share on social media and all that jazz but in addition to that you can subscribe to the pop culture collective newsletter it's a weekly newsletter that myself and ria and allison are all a part of including many members of the comics emotion family it was created by super dummy paul of era of geek and the dummy's guide to geekdom and in short it's just an update so instead of you having to follow all of us on social media and having to check social media constantly to know really what's going on and without having to check every single feed you can just pay attention to the pop culture collective you get an idea of what i'm doing with genuine chit chat each week what i'm doing with styles comics and canon each week and then what people like spider dan the femon collective tony Freena, all of us what we're all kind of up to and so it's a really really good way to kind of supersede having to check social media all the time so please consider signing up for that newsletter a link is in the description But that's enough from me, my friends. Thank you so much for listening, as always. I appreciate each and every one of you listening all the way to the very end. I'll speak to you next week with part two of this pregnancy conversation, and I just appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you then. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.